0: Testament reading is from the prophet Jeremiah for thus says the Lord sing aloud with gladness for Jacob and raise shouts for the chief of the nations proclaim give praise and say save O Lord your people the remnant of Israel see I'm going to bring them from the land of the north and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth Among them the blind and the lame, those with child and those in labor together. A great company. They shall return here. With weeping they shall come, and with consolations I will lead them back. I will let them walk by brooks of water in a straight path, in which they shall not stumble, for I have become a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Indeed, I heard Ephraim pleading, you disciplined me, and I took the discipline. I was like a calf untrained. Bring me back, let me come back, for you are the Lord my God. For after I had turned away, I repented. And after I was discovered, I struck my thigh. I was ashamed and I was dismayed, because I bore the disgrace of my youth. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he the child I delight in? As often as I speak against him, I still remember him. Therefore, I am deeply moved for him. I will surely have mercy on him, says the Lord. Set up road markers for yourself, make yourself guideposts. Consider well the highway, the road by which you went. Return, O virgin Israel. Return to these your cities. How long will you waver, O faithless daughter? For the Lord has created a new thing on the earth. A woman encompasses a man. So we uh,
1: printed this bulletin two weeks ago. And I had fully intended to spend more time in my sermon on Matthew than Jeremiah at the time, and that changed in the last two weeks. So I want you to keep the words that Russell read from Jeremiah this morning in your heads as I add to it this piece from Matthew. We are going to spend more time in Jeremiah, though. We find ourselves in Matthew in the midst of Jesus' birth and the events surrounding Jesus' birth, and Jesus has been born, and this is what happens. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt. Join me in a prayer. Grace us with a word this morning on this, the first day of a new calendar year. Grace us with your spirit this morning in these first moments as we look headlong. To what might come of us in the year ahead. Grace us with your hope that we may walk with confidence into each new day, knowing that you have gone before us to set right the path, to clear the road, to be with us. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> so, I feel like a lot of us have this image in our heads that no matter how much we try to, to get the image out of our heads, we can't seem to do it. This image being that the Bible, the books of the Bible, were originally written in the way that they appear to us today, as if Jeremiah sat down and one morning and said, I'm now going to write the book. And chapter 1, verse 1, blah, 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 blah. verse 2, blah, blah, blah. And, and that's just, that's not the way it happened. Like most all the books of the Bible, really all the books of the Bible, Jeremiah is a product of many eyes and many hands and many additions and many deletions and many changes and many tweaks and as God's hand over the course of many years slowly shaped the words that we read today in this book. The chapter and verse numbers didn't come until, God, eons later almost. And before the words were found themselves on paper, of course, they were spoken. They were they were spoken. It was an oral tradition. In other words, first and foremost, Jeremiah was a preacher. And the people he found himself preaching to was the Jewish people who had been exiled by the Babylonian Empire as they moved into their territory. They sent and scattered the Jews all out and away from their homeland and ousted them from their homes and sent them into this very difficult time of separation and exile. It was a tough season of life for the Jewish people. And these are the people, and this is the situation that Jeremiah found himself preaching to. Not unlike the chaotic, uncertain times of Jesus' birth in fact. And the reason That Jeremiah was able to preach to them the way that he did. I mean, he he gave them many sermons on many different topics, not just one thing. And the reason he was able to do that is because Jeremiah thought a lot about God. Spent a great deal of time thinking about God, who God is, what God means to my people in this time, in this place, in this dire, hard situation that we find ourselves in. A lot of time thinking about God, who God is, and allowed Jeremiah to, to give them a number of different words from God. Often, at least early on, those words were, judgment. Early in the book, Jeremiah has God telling them things like, saying things like, why should I pardon you? Even your kids have given up on me. They have followed all kinds of fake gods. They run all over the place and just do whatever they want. I fed them and they've become lusty stallions, as Jeremiah puts it in chapter 5. Why not punish them? He told it like he saw it, even if it was hard to hear. As one scholar puts it, the early listeners of Jeremiah's preaching, at least for the first 40 years or so, heard warnings and judgments like this that were meant and intended to shake them out of their complacency, to wake them up, so to speak. He spoke it like he saw it. But that's not the only word he gave them. When his thoughts of God turned towards judgment, that's what he said. When his thoughts of God turned towards hope, that's what he gave them. Like in our reading today, a word of hope that people find themselves in exile. And what are the words that he quotes from God to them? I will bring you back. I will bring you back. God says to them a word of hope. You will walk beside the brook. You will walk a straight path without stumbling. I will bring you back. Not only that, but he was able to give them a word of encouragement. Challenging words of encouragement. In fact, to challenge them to become more disciplined in their faith. He equated them with an untrained calf, as he puts it. You're like an untrained calf. He put it in the first person. We're like an untrained calf. We need to be led back. Bring us back. We'll be led if you will lead us. Please do it. He challenged them to to become more disciplined in their thoughts about God and their thinking about God because he himself had done that very thing, giving a lot of thought and time to who God is and what God is asking of them. Jeremiah spent a great deal of time doing that Became more disciplined in his, in his thinking, in his in his faith, in his preaching, and was challenging the Jewish people to do the very same thing. When all the rest of the people were afraid because of the uncertain world in which they lived, when they didn't know what was going to happen next, Jeremiah instead looked upon that time as a time when they might become more focused on the one who might actually bring them back after all. Might actually be able to be with them in this time of uncertainty. Time of confusion. A world that they no longer knew. To turn their eyes in a more disciplined way to the one who might be with them. He gave them a playbook challenge them to become more disciplined in sticking with that playbook. Playbooks, playbooks can be important tools. They actually can be vital. If you've ever played on a, a team sport, you know how important a playbook can be. A playbook becomes the unique language for a team. You're the only ones that know the language of that playbook. No one else knows it. And if the team really knows the playbook, boy, you've got it made. But you also have to stick with that the playbook. You can't just, you know, if you don't stick with it, a playbook, well, it's, it's just a book. But if you know the playbook, you can stick with it. It becomes the heart and soul of who you are as a group. But it takes discipline. When Denise and I were living years ago in Indianapolis, we spent two years in Indianapolis, and and during that time, we became Colts fans. We became fans of the Colts. Not just the team, but particularly we became big fans of Peyton Manning, who was the quarterback at the time. Felt somewhat obligated to do that because, after all, he was a member of the church we were serving in, so we kind of felt like it was a rule. But at the same time, of course, he was a fun quarterback to watch. When he was on the field, I mean he was all business. He was the poster child for discipline. Peyton was. And after we moved out of uh, Indianapolis, we, we remained fans of the Colts for a number of years, still are at some level. And, and I remember watching on uh, the game when he broke for the first time. He's done it He did it twice before he ended his career, but the first time he broke the record for most completed, the number of completed touchdown passes in a given season. You know, we come up with all kinds of stats, but number of completed touchdown passes in a given season. And I remember watching the game, and everyone knew that it was just one more. it was at 48, which Dan Marino held at the time, and Peyton had tied it. One more and he doesn't. Everyone was saying, you know, oh, they just, they ran it. Oh, they need to, get just, you know, and, it, and then it happened. He made the connection and touchdown and the state, I mean, everybody went nuts, went hog wild. They had banners they brought to the game just in case, you know, Manning beats Marino and new record, just going crazy and unbelievable, just couldn't believe it, jumping up and down. Everyone just congratulating everybody else, everyone that is, except for Peyton Manning. He didn't jump up and down, he didn't high five, he didn't do a victory lap. Nothing. He didn't, he didn't even wave or nod in acknowledgement. He simply walked to the sideline to talk to the head coach about the very next play because they needed to run for two points to tie the game. Nothing. And the, the, the commentators on the, on the TV were, were they couldn't believe it. They started saying things like does he even know that he's done it? Of course he had. They were amazed at his razor sharp focus and discipline. When everyone else was going crazy and distracted by this new record, he stuck with the playbook. He maintained his discipline. They got the two points and later won the game. Without discipline. Playbook's just a book. Another person who had was known for his ridiculous discipline was a theologian by the name of Karl Barth, a 20th century theologian, very well known for his series called The Dogmatics, just massive sized books. I mean, you just look at him and go, for real? I mean, you're kidding me. And the story goes that as he wrote that, those books, that he would start in his office and he would work all through the day, and his assistant would even bring lunch into his office so that he would not lose any momentum that had been created as he was putting his thoughts on paper, and then at the end of the day, he would leave and put a, put a little bookmark in his notes where he left off and leave it and then walk straight out of the office and go home and and rest and everything, and first thing the very next day, he'd walk right in, walk right past in and good morning, and he'd walk in, sit down, and pick right back up where he left off. Day in, day out, this was his routine for the greater part of his life. And no way I could do that. I mean, just crazy extreme in the way of discipline. And yet, it was that rigid routine that helped Bart put down phrases that have become some of the most valued words in thinking about God we have yet to see. Without discipline. Playbook's just a book. It's that same kind of discipline that Jeremiah preaches about and hopes for from the Jewish people, even in their difficult time of exile that that he viewed also as a time of potential sharpening of their faith and and improving of their discipline. It's that kind of, of discipline that he hoped for from them. It's that kind of discipline, in fact, that God hopes for from us. That no matter what else is distracting the world, that we have the discipline to stick with the playbook we can keep our thoughts and our hearts and our lives centered on God that we can in fact give nothing less than our very best what do you think how disciplined are you how often do you think about God in your daily life When you go through that same routine, whatever that routine may be, do you think about God at all? It's a new year, it's a good time to ask. When I was in seminary, I heard a sermon one time by the president at the time, and in that sermon he said this phrase that I will never forget. He said, to think about God is to experience never forgotten that. To think about God is to experience God. That was a game changer for me. It just had never dawned on me that the experience of God was nothing more than a mere thought away from that very moment. And to this day, I have tried to focus my time more on thinking about God, giving thought to who God is and what might God might be up to in our environment today and in the world today. Thoughts that, that grab my heart. Thoughts that change my behavior. Thoughts, in fact, as I look back and hope, might have even made for a more dif- disciplined life of faith. Thoughts that make me wonder about God's great far reaching grace the amazing risk God takes by entering this life as one of us and becoming vulnerable like us so much so that the family when Jesus was born has to escape to Egypt in order to keep him alive can you imagine how different it would have turned out had they not been disciplined enough to stick to the playbook the angel had given them? to think about God is to experience God it is my hope that Jeremiah was able to experience God in his own thoughts it's my hope that you are able to do the same that you might be able to take that playbook and live it out might remember in your thinking about God, you are in fact experiencing God. In this new year, when the world seems perhaps uncertain (coughs) and may not be what you had hoped it would be, you don't know what to expect from tomorrow. May you feel called to a more disciplined life of faith. Worship God with your mind. Give Christ your heart. Love this world more than you ever thought you were able to love. Give to this world more than you ever thought you were able to give. Give nothing short of your very best. Stick with the playbook. Oh, man.